Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Mansour's on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. Stephanie Regal is a broadcaster and editor of Baton Rouge Business Report. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Technology plays an increasingly important role in all aspects of our lives today, and the more entrenched it becomes in government systems, in our offices, and in our home appliances, the more vulnerable we are to cyber attacks. Today we have two local experts, one developing technology, the other trying to protect us from malware and hackers. Mo Vidge is the founder and CEO of General Informatics. It's a nearly 16-year-old IT services company based in Baton Rouge that develops software to help clients in the defense sector, healthcare industry, business, law enforcement, and more. General Informatics recently unveiled a new product called Gizmo that serves as a handheld communication device police officers can use in the field. And Mo recently announced plans to develop a high-tech office park at the corner of Blue Bonnet and Highland Road right here in Baton Rouge that will have a Silicon Valley-style campus-like atmosphere and hopefully attract more high-tech tenants in the years to come. Mo, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you, Stephanie. While Mo's company is making technology, John Zachary is trying to guard users of technology from cyber attacks, something we hear a lot about these days. John is a cybersecurity expert who worked for clients like the Pentagon and the National Security Administration in Washington, D.C. for several years before returning in 2016 to his native Baton Rouge and bringing his services here. And while we may hear about high-profile hacking incidents when Netflix or PayPal are the victims, John will tell you that local businesses and even individuals need to stay on their toes too because we all are vulnerable. John, you'll have to fill us in. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. Well, Mo, I'm going to start with you. General Informatics is really one of the most impressive tech firms in Baton Rouge today. You could have gone anywhere when you were starting this firm in 2001. Why did you choose Baton Rouge? Part of it was I think I came to LSU. So it was, um, and I met some very, very interesting people here who really encouraged me to do something in Louisiana. And um, had opportunities. I left Baton Rouge a couple of times, but kept coming back. Uh, you can say maybe for the food, <laughs> but uh, but that's what uh, kind of brought me in there. And then over the years, we started growing here nicely. And then it you know, it becomes your home, and you want to do the best for your home, and you continue. Uh, what you know, what you can do. You get stuck. We use the word tech firm generically. We throw it around out there. But specifically, what does General Informatics do? And and what are some of the examples of these products and services? Absolutely. So we have uh, two sides of our business. One is um, services for the local industry. Uh, We're just like uh, people don't have uh, attorney offices in their offices or CPAs generally working for them. IT is going to that stage where many businesses rather have an external company help them through those uh, processes. And we bring those services to these businesses. So we have about 200 plus businesses that use our services. So, um, and the second side of our businesses, software development and products. 
uh, as you, like you said, technology is uh, you know almost embedded in every aspect of our life today, and especially when it comes to businesses, every process, whether it's marketing, finance, you know, is uh, using technology. Mm -hmm. And we found a niche in certain industries, uh, especially the public safety side of things, where we have created some technology and brought some other technologies together to develop solutions for these industries. John, you also chose Baton Rouge as a place to branch out, and you've been here a little over a year now doing cybersecurity consulting. You certainly picked the right field. Did you pick the right place? Coming back here? It's hard to say. The biggest challenge about doing a company that, like, like the one that I uh, tried recently is uh, finding people with a specialized level of knowledge um, mm -hmm. and specialized programming skills for things like low-level network processing, cybersecurity, cryptography, um, things of that area. Uh, I deviate a little bit with some of the other technology companies around town in that I use a lot of open source, a lot of Linux, and a lot of kind of things that you don't normally see. Uh, so, so when you say open source or Linux, those are the programming? Correct. So tools. Linux is like an operating system, sure. like Windows. Uh, it tends to run on servers. Uh, a lot of the things that run um, the infrastructure for the internet run on Linux, and so you tend to see a lot of network security tools that are developed for Linux. and. Um, so there's a little bit of a challenge, there's a little bit of an education challenge about kind of letting people know what's going on um, and kind of you know, what's the state of the art. <laughs> um, because a lot of my friends and colleagues that are in the DC area are so in tune with that in that those wheels move so quickly mm -hmm. up there in places like that because that's just where all of the action typically happens. So what is going on? Tell us what people in Baton Rouge should be aware of. You know, we all assume that Visa or Amazon.com is doing everything it can to guard against cyber attacks. But should the Baton Rouge Business Report be worried about it, or General Informatics, or you know, yeah. this restaurant here? One thing I would say is that people should not be scared. I don't sell fear. That's one of the things I kind of lay out. Is that you know that we've had cybersecurity attacks for a long, long time, and we're still going to have them. There's just so much opportunity out there. Uh, people keep reinventing the wheel in terms of cybersecurity attacks. We see everything old is new again. <laughs> Things that used to happen on personal computers are now happening uh, on mobile phones and will be happening on embedded devices and Internet of Things like wireless cameras. Uh, you know, things that you put in your home, thermostats, things of that nature. But they always tend to have sort of common, um, common themes, uh, poor passwords, uh, things like people clicking or clicking links or, or uh, accessing things that, that may be suspicious or untrustworthy. So it's always the same thing. It's a different device, but sort of the same modus operandi that hmm. hackers tend to use in order to install malware, uh, to monitor networks, to you know, do whatever it is that they want to do at that time. Certainly the more technology that is out there, the more devices and systems that can be hacked. One of the newest products that y'all are selling, Mo, I mentioned is called Gizmo, and, and you showed it to me just a, a few weeks ago. Really, really cool. Tell tell the listeners what it is and how it works. Sure. So Gizmo is a handheld device that could be used by um, law enforcement, for example, and it has uh, some of our technology which, like facial recognition and ability to read um, information off your driver license and things like that. And the idea is they are reading even uh, license plates on vehicles. The theory is, and what our products do, is essentially is that if you have, let's say, a stolen vehicle mm -hmm. and um, the officer aims the device to any of the cars, it can tell them if the that car is stolen or not and who is it registered against. 
So similarly, if you're looking for a lost child, or you know, you, um, you could use the same device to aim at a kid and see if this is the same child, even if uh, certain aspects of their face has been changed and things like that. So that's one part of it. Second is, um, since it's almost a platform, and platform really means think of a computer uh, in your hand, it can do much more than that. Mm -hmm. And things which uh, generally, uh, again, take the example of law enforcement officers, where they would have to carry two, three or four different devices, they could put all those things in a single device. So that's really the idea behind this. Now, have you already started selling it in the local market and, and beyond? We have uh, proof of concepts uh, out in the field for field testing right now. So we are looking forward to selling it to organizations. And you all developed the software right here at your company? That's correct, in Baton Rouge. And so then where is, was it manufactured? So the device is being, you know, most of the devices are being manufactured in Far East, whether it's China or Korea. And we're working with a couple of companies. Uh, one is in Korea, uh, who's helping us build the hardware side of things. And okay. uh, hopefully when we have enough clients, we can probably bring the manufacturing here too. That would be very good. How do you guard against uh, you know, cyber attacks and safeguard the products that you sell. Right. There are a few common sense things which end users can do. Now, you know, end users are, there could be our users who are using our devices, or it could be an average, average person in the house. Um, until they're not doing these things, number one, that's the first line of defense. Second is using a lot of biometrics. So, you know, the, the same technology we can use to identify a person, for example, is always trying to identify the person who's using, using the device. So seeing that it doesn't fall in the wrong hands. Uh, same thing as you're, you said, a lot of the big companies, um, Google's and Microsoft's are creating a lot of biometrics built into the devices, where just the fact the way you hold it tells us, tells you. Um, we are also- Really? So, so explain that to me. So, so the way I hold a handheld device tells somebody back somewhere who I am or whether I'm a bad guy with bad intentions? Not bad guy, but it tells you whether, the, whether <laughs> the device will let you do certain things or not. I see. So, for example, there's a band just released uh, which works with our uh, Bluetooth connection on the device. It scans, it's constantly reading your heartbeat. And it is always identifying if it's the same person whose device it is who's using the device. Because wow. with the device, you have the ability to look up a lot of information. So you just want to make sure it's being used in the right hands constantly. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. We're talking to Mo Vidge of General Informatics and cybersecurity consultant John Zachary. John? Now, we, we talk a lot about the Internet of Things. That's become one of these buzzwords. And I mean, I think basically we're talking about smart appliances, a baby monitor, a, you know, refrigerator with a thermostat built in that'll talk to my phone. And that's, John, we spoke about this a few weeks ago, where we're so vulnerable now. Um, what should people do to guard against attacks? And are those kind of Internet of Things devices as sophisticated as the products that Mo was just referencing? Traditionally, they're, they're, they're sort of non-traditional computers, but things that have computers in them that can be networked. So something mm -hmm. that I can put on a network, something that communicates with a server or maybe communicates with something in the cloud or on the web. Um, is generally considered an Internet of Things. And in fact, people are taking it one step further and now starting to talk about the Internet of Everything. So it's not, we haven't even added enough buzzwords yet, but let's just stick with the Internet of Things for now. So what can people do? The number one thing that people can really do is when they get these devices, look up and make sure that they're uh, kind of having awareness that if it's connected to the Internet, or if you can access it with, through your smartphone, through an app, it's connected to the internet. So potentially there is a vulnerability there. So the first thing that I would say is people should always, always, always look for 
administrative passwords or the it kind of comes out, I don't want to get too technical, but mm -hmm. when these devices come, they typically come configured, uh, pre-configured in a way that you just plug them in and use them. But they're typically, a lot of times, and what we're finding with a lot of these devices is that the passwords are super simple for hackers to yeah. guess. And in fact, the attack that we had <coughs> a couple of months ago with the, the Dyn attack that took right, down Twitter right. and Spotify, they exploited the fact that a lot of these devices had passwords of admin or root or please. Mm -hmm. Simple, easy things to guess. Nothing sophisticated for a hacker to exploit. Mm -hmm. You just know that a lot of these devices are shipped that way, so you write tools, you put them out on the internet, and people download them and use them to, to create these botnets. So the first thing you do is you check your passwords and change them, turn them into really good passwords. What is a good password? Something that looks random but is easy to remember is one thing. Uh, the second thing to do is when people hook them up, uh, make sure like your Wi-Fi at your house is also secure. These things will communicate through Wi-Fi. Your Wi-Fi routers that you that you buy to hook everything up also have those type of password issues. So that's probably the number one thing that folks should do to, to kind of lock down things is to change the passwords. Do we have a profile of what a hacker looks like? I know Donald Trump made us think of a 400-pound <laughs> loser sitting on a bed well, somewhere. Who is that? Who wants? I mean, I understand a hacker that wants to get financial information, but you get the sense that some people just want to hack for the sake yeah. of hacking. The, the the profile of a hacker varies, uh, and you know the the typical. Um, picture that people have in their head of a hacker is someone wearing a hoodie lunched, hunched <laughs> over a, a computer in the dark or something like that. And I can tell you it, it, nothing could be further from the truth. Hackers uh, are military, so you can look across the world. You have nation states that are doing hackers or hacking, so there's military. You have um, uh, organizations like that are hacktivists that have political agendas uh, that look like someone you would see on the street. Um, organized crime employs hackers. You have people that just look normal. People that are just curious about playing with things and breaking things. People that um, are trying to make money on the web. One of the really famous hacker that just uh, went got taken down uh, looked like your normal preppy college student in California. A boy, I bet. Yeah. I bet they're m yeah. predominantly male. I'm going to go yeah. out on a limb there. <laughs> take me off the radio if that offends anybody. But we're going to take a little break now and sort of switch gears. I'm going to ask you each a quick question called the brother-in-law question. We do that sometimes on the show, and I don't know if you have a brother-in-law, but for the sake of discussion right now, we'll pretend that you do. So, Mo, your brother-in-law calls you up and says he wants to go into the IT services business. What's a niche that general informatics is not serving, that no one out there is serving, really, where you see there's still potential to make money? So, I, there's actually a lot, a lot of opportunities coming in. The technologies are being developed, and somebody needs to put those technologies together. And especially, uh, maybe see is that um, a lot of software is being rewritten for the cloud environments. And so the systems which have evolved over the last 30, 40 years are almost being rewritten for, uh, to use their new devices where it's moving from the PC to the phones. And so um, as you become an expert in cloud technologies, that's a niche that's kind of emerging very rapidly. Very interesting. John, your brother-in-law calls you up and, and says he wants to make his home office hack-proof. Is that is it possible to totally secure your, your business? 
If you don't have an internet or a computer, sure, <laughs> <laughs> use paper. Um, and in fact, you know that's kind of a big argument about election systems and making them hack-proof as you go back to paper ballots. But yeah, no, I don't think anything is 100% uh, hack-proof. I think you have to evaluate those things in terms of risk and. You know, there will always be vulnerabilities in, in these types of systems, but you have to step back and say what type of, what level of risk are you willing to accept and um, kind of invest appropriately that way. Interesting. Well, back to business. Mo, besides running a successful business, you are developing a high-tech office park called At Highland, that's ampersand at, um, that you envision as sort of a Silicon Valley style tech park right here in Baton Rouge. Where did this vision come from and tell us about it? So the kind of work we do um, essentially requires uh, you know, college graduates and especially the ones who are very high in demand from a programming perspective. And, uh, and we, re we felt, not we felt, we actually saw a couple of our very good people leave. And, um, and, a couple, and both the times on exit interviews when I talked to them, it was about the word, we're not cool enough, <laughs> always came back. <laughs> so we started seeing what, how, does, how do we define cool for the new millennials who are uh, you know, the new working um, people who will be doing this kind of work. One of the parts was that you know they wanted to have a certain environment, so it was not about just having a great building or cool building. They, wanted, they were very um, respectful of the environments, they wanted to make sure it's done right, and that's where we were just, I was just driving through Blue Bonnet and saw this, I always saw this property which had a lot of beautiful trees, and it was for sale, and we said okay this could be a great environment, we have the beautiful uh, Blue Bonnet swamp next to it, a lot of cypresses. And also it's came a down to great piece of real estate. It's it very is very beautiful. And we, you know, we did uh, we did our very best and kept uh, all the trees the way they were. And we, in fact, I was talking this morning that we are building our buildings in a very odd fashion to to be around the trees, so nice. we didn't have to take any tree down. So and you know there's so also it kind of accentuates the Louisiana diaspora in terms of you have the all the blue bonnet swamp mm -hmm. right next to it. So we envision that in future, if we, we are able to do what we want to do, we can, in fact, highlight that beautiful asset we have in the city along with the, our, our tech park. So, so you'll have uh, one building to start where you, you're going to move general informatics. Correct. And then we have other tenants in there. Uh, we are hoping then, and then we plan to build a few more buildings there. And it's not so much about tech; it's also going to be a you know the next generation lifestyle kind of park where. Because if we see what uh, what attracts the young generation is um, good food and basically digital stuff. Yeah. So you know we got the digital stuff covered, and then we were trying to get some uh, good food stuff coming in there, along with the the nice environment. So you hit on a very important point when you were talking about it, and it was you know trying to attract this creative class talent, these millennials who say that we're not cool, and this is a problem that we hear a lot. And and John, maybe you've experienced it too. Besides building our own office park, which you're fortunate enough to be able to do, Mo, but for people who cannot, uh, how do we get those, you know, skilled workers, professional talent uh, sure. that we need? So, I mean, one of the things was, you know, if you look at it, and I always see that the vision or the ambition is bigger than the park. The mm -hmm. idea is that if I, if I ask this generation, and they'll say Austin is a great city, or Raleigh is a cool city, or Cooperton is a good place, there's there's a story behind all those cities, and they have something very interesting in common, which is there was a company that came out and did something interesting, and it developed. So it's not just about the company; it creates an almost an ecosystem around it, which can you know run the airport better, which can have enough traffic for the airport, which can have the kind of restaurants these people want around it, 
and which attracts those kind of people to the town. So our vision, I mean, you know, at least you've got to dream big. So, right, so we're dreaming that, okay, we, we start that without having a, asking for a non-profit or government to do it. Let's take, what, what can we do? And let's take the first step and start try and try to create that ecosystem through us. What do you see, John? Have you had trouble attracting the kind of help that you need? Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I have a different perspective because I used to work for, at LED, and uh, when I when I was there, a big part of my job was uh, focusing on innovation. Uh, I actually spent a time at BRAC as well and wrote uh, a big uh, piece, a research piece there on innovation and developed an innovation strategy for okay. Louisiana. And while I was at LED, uh, it was a big part of the Louisiana Innovation Council. Uh, working with those folks. And f from my perspective, th th the biggest challenge that I see here in terms of building a technology industry and a really innovative technology industry is the, the pace. I think things move too slowly here. Uh, and when I go and talk to folks, and I'm talking mm -hmm. to folks now in Europe, uh, talk to, I had a, a nice phone call uh, with folks in Germany and, and Switzerland a couple of days ago. I'm talking with a company in France. I'm talking with um, Deloitte up in DC about some projects and some things. And there's just the pace is so much quicker. <laughs> things are going quicker. And here, what I found um, uh, having just in this company is that things just move a lot more slowly. Um, it is. A tr it, 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 it was a challenge for me finding people like me, people that are uh, very uh, well versed in, in open source technologies. I mean, I used. I will probably get get this, but I used Go as prog programming language, um, and try finding people that use that type of programming environment around here was was kind of a big challenge. So hmm. um, that's what I think is probably the number one thing is that there, there's the sense of urgency might not be quite the right word, but definitely I think that the pace here is a little bit slower compared to everybody else. Because you have to remember, you're not competing with just people on here. You're Baton Rouge is competing with Austin, with Atlanta. Uh, with Raleigh, Durham, with DC, sure. with you know places in California, Silicon Valley, and 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 really, you're competing with anybody across the world. Yeah. yeah. So what what do we need more of? So I think I'll add to what John's saying. I think my biggest challenge is self-esteem. That for some reason, uh, if you're in Louisiana, people just tend to believe that others out in other states are better than us, and we could be creating the best things. Because you know, I mean, our thing was we can keep complaining about what we don't have, but or just take the first step and start moving with it. And the reality was, just like I left uh, Baton Rouge and at some point and came back, is the same people who are graduating <laughs> from LSU and Southern and just going out and then being sent back to Baton Rouge and built to state at much higher rates. So we do have the people. It's a matter of uh, how can you tap into that potential. So we, you know, and that's where this whole idea of let's let's start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll see what happens. And we already feel that there's traction there. Um, and it's, so I'm very excited about that. Um, That's great. Um, if you could change one thing about Baton Rouge, what would it be? Wave your magic wand. About technology, <laughs> yeah. Because I would pick transportation first. Yes, that's a good one. Because, but that but that's factors a different into show, it, though, doesn't it? Because when we hear about you know economic development, tra traffic and infrastructure issues are one of the biggest deterrents that that the folks at BRAC and LED at yeah. least always point to. I think from a technology industry, I don't know that you know our traffic situation is is definitely a, is a primary issue. I think the airport is. I think being able to fly out, you know, to go directly from here to Chicago or from here to DC or here to, you know, other places is, is a factor. Um, I think if I could change one thing about this area that I that I feel like would kickstart 
mm -hmm. uh, things. Um, it would probably be to, and I don't want this to become a political point, but it would be to shore up our higher education resources and invest heavily in LSU as, as a flagship. Um, I, I know that the engineering department there is, is making great strides, and I think the, um, um, uh, Dr. Kubek was, did a great job while he was dean there. But I feel like we could be doing more there, and that the engineering department at LSU, if we had a top 20 or top 25, if we had you know, one, a very well-recognized computer science and computer engineering program, where you were attracting students and they were staying here, um, that would make a big deal. I think that that's the, the first thing that we would have to do. And then after that, you would have to talk about things like venture capital. You would have to talk about um, you know, cool places, which is what Mo's putting together, which I'm very excited about because that part of town is gonna have something completely different than what's already there. Right, right now we just have subdivisions and big houses and I live over there. And so when I drive by and saw you see that, I get really excited because it's not, you know, the same old. Out. Exactly right. So, so I think um, I have a different take on that. I, I personally feel that the rethinking the education early on is important. Uh, mm -hmm. The education system itself is uh, is, uh, is primed for change. Uh, the kind of things we are really don't care about degrees anymore, as far as we are concerned, is the skills. And there is nothing from. Um, That's good to hear you say that. That's so different than anything yeah. I've heard somebody say. Yeah, and to to me, it's like if you can get those people started early, and get them focused on the skills that matter, that could be. Uh, and that's part of actually our initiative is where we're setting up a program because today you can get a degree from MIT sitting at your home if you want, and you actually get a diploma from MIT. So why are we not using that? Sure. That's, you know, um, and you are attending the classes live through a video stream. So you are basically in, in those classes. So I personally feel that's, uh, if there's a, so creating that mindset, and that's why I said the self-esteem is important because um, I don't have a request if I could change something from any agency or government to change, it's about the people. That having a faith in themselves and trusting and trying to explore what systems already exist and using what we have rather than asking for more. That's how I see it. Well. Believe it or not, gentlemen, we're out of time already. This has been such an interesting discussion. Mo Vidge and John Zachary, y'all are pushing the envelope here in Baton Rouge and also protecting us from cyber threats. So it's great that our entrepreneurial ecosystem has been able to nurture both of your enterprises. Good luck with your continued growth. Thanks for joining me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Mo Vidge of General Informatics and cybersecurity consultant John Zachary. You can find out more about General Informatics and John Zachary by following the links on our website. It's batonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Today's show was recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily from 11 to 2 for dinner nightly and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Murray. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. Our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. You can see photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Facebook page. These photos are taken by Rick Lacombe. All the music on Out to Lunch is composed and performed by Mitchell Foreman. You can find more of Mitchell's music wherever great jazz is streamed or sold and at mitchellforeman.com. You can get this show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our website, it's batonrouge.la and wrkf.org. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and wrkf 89.3 FM. 
I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys and offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Business First Bank, with locations throughout the state, including 11 offices in the Baton Rouge area, providing personal and commercial banking, treasury management, and wealth solution services to help clients succeed. Business First Bank, banking with greater momentum. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world.